Let's take more neck. Mmm, y'all hear what I say? Let's take more neck for your mother and your brother. We gon' hear from Eric and Devontae. It's strange times and these are strange days, and it's strange people living strange ways. So expect. Let's take more neck. Welcome back to Let's Tech More Neck. I'm Devontae. And this is Eric. And my guest today is a friend of mine, Adam. He is a pastor. He's actually getting ready to start his own church down in Denver. Adam, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me on, boys. We really appreciate you. I know you were saying that your family decided to raise you Christian around six, seven, and eight. Is that correct? Yeah, that's when they started taking their faith seriously, I'd say. Before that, it was more cultural for Mm -hmm. them. So what happened to make them decide to raise you Christian or for them to all go Christian at that at that time? Yeah, yeah. I think there was two things. One was my parents were at a church that um, was much more ritualistically driven, very, uh, I don't know how else you would describe it. You'd come in, you'd do the same things, you'd say the same things, and there wasn't much in the way of a relationship with the living God. And my mom actually had a dream about the church that she was going to, her and my dad. And it really sent her into like a really crazy sort of mental spin cycle of like, what am I doing? Am I am I where I should be? And it kind of caused her to start asking some big questions. And, um, and then the other wild thing that happened was when I was, call it six or seven or eight, somewhere around there, I can't remember. I actually tried to call my mom about this the other day because I've been thinking about it a lot. But basically, there was a woman going door to door in my neighborhood when I was that age. And this is a a town in the Bay Area. It was a super homogenous town where a lot of tech executives would live and then they'd drive into the city. And at the time, this is like the early 90s, and the town was like 90 plus percent white. And this black American woman knocks on my parents' door one day and she asks my mom if she wants to study the Bible. And my mom's like, okay. And they start studying the Bible and and the woman brings her daughter and we're playing. And, you know, I just remember very distinctly them coming over and studying the Bible and me hanging out with her daughter. And my mom started to learn the Bible and learned the gospel, I would say, during probably that time. And, And then my dad started getting jealous about my mom learning the Bible. And, uh, and then they basically started going to a church that taught the Bible and, and everything changed for them. And then they raised us in that. So, so what was it that, I mean, just going over the Bible, what, what came to your parents' mind that was like, this is the right way. This is what we need to be doing for us and our children. That's a good question. I think they were probably convicted. I should ask them this, but just based on my conversations with them over the years, I think they were probably convicted by the fact that they weren't taking their faith that seriously. Maybe they had just accepted it as is, you know, from their parents. And, you know, when we become adults, there comes a moment where you kind of have to take responsibility for the things you believe and why. And I think that was their moment. And then because they believed it to be true, then they wanted to raise me in that truth. And so, yeah, some might call it indoctrination, but I think... At the end of the day, there's when you're raising kids, there's really no way around, quote unquote, indoctrination. Even if you were to say, for example, well, I believe that I should teach my kids no religion and just let them choose for themselves. Well, that's a belief. That's a value system, right? And so, so it's not that you don't have a value system. You have one. You just haven't quite put a name to it, right? And so for my parents, they are convicted that the Bible was God's word and that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is true. And they raised me in that. So what did it look like growing up for you, like going through middle school while everybody, because you're what, two years older than Eric? I don't know, I'm 34. How old are you, Eric? I'm 32. So you were born 88? Yeah, 88. So you, this is this is all happening mid-90s for you? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so what did it look like for you growing up as a Christian, going to middle school whenever everybody's going kind of through the, the hormones, you know, the high <laughs> test is kicking in. Um, people are starting to wonder what sex is. They're starting to look into like Playboy, because I know you said you didn't really have anything besides magazines at that time, right? Um, no, by middle school, I had a computer in my room. Okay. So I, I had found like internet porn by the time I was like 10 or 11. Okay. So, so the I, you probably got, I mean, you were using the internet right around the same time. I totally, was, yeah. totally. So, so around that time, whereas, were people talking about it with you 
And then how did you how did you go about that yourself? Which part? Like the the porn and stuff. What was that? Mm-hmm. Grown up Christian well, sexuality, kind of, yeah, yeah. Like, just sexuality, totally. in general, yeah. Because my parents didn't talk about it at all. Yeah, so. you know, I, I, my parents, um, weren't mum on it. They didn't say nothing on it. I know, you know, I got a lot of friends whose parents actively avoided it, and so I definitely I remember the sex talks with my parents and that kind of thing, and and then in middle school and in high school, I think, grow as far as like my faith goes and growing up in Christianity, there was definitely um, there's a couple different uh, influences happening. I think one of them on the more negative side is what is sometimes referred to as purity culture. Have you guys heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's basically like a legalistically driven motivation to, to not step out of God's design for sexuality. Right. And so basically what this is, is maybe you put a ring on and you say, this is my commitment to not sleep with anyone until marriage. But what happens oftentimes in purity culture, and I think what millennials especially associate with it, is this kind of like um, uh, heavy-handed, you know, what was that movie? Uh, um, don't sleep with anyone, and if you do, you're going to die. What was that, Mean Girls? Remember where they're handing out condoms? And he's oh, like, yeah. don't, okay, guys, don't don't sleep together. Just, just abstain, because if you do, you're going to die. Anyway, here's a bunch of condoms. Like that, I think that was Mean Girls, right? It was, it's so. kind of like that yeah, vibe, yeah. you know? That's like a purity culture vibe. And so there was definitely that wind blowing i think at the time just like don't do it or else kind of thing you know but i also think like pretty early on like if you expose yourself to the biblical text and god's design for sex you notice pretty quick that that's not the message that the bible gives about sex you know there's there's a lot about sex in the bible there's i mean there's really a whole book devoted to a romantic sexual relationship in the song of solomon right the last thing that that is is a prudish ignore it, don't talk about a situation, you know? And then beyond that, especially in the New Testament, where you really see God's design for sex, it's a pretty compelling thing. Like at the end of the day, according to the Bible, the universe was cold and dark and without sex until God put it there. So clearly it's not like a booby trap, but at the same time, it's it's meant to be stepped into in a certain way by God's design for our blessing and his glory. And so I think Early on, by God's grace, one of the one of the other influences was just how the Bible talked about sex, and that that sort of you know shaped my thinking around it too. I think so. It wasn't necessarily your parents talking about it; it was biblical text of it. You know, I'm just starting to read the Bible. Mm. Again, it's something that it's kind of the reverse of what happened to you. You know, religion <laughs> was taken out of my life at six, seven years old. My parents were like, "Well." we could go to church on Sunday or we could bill more hours because they're both attorneys. <laughs> for, yeah. And so they just started working more. And then they're just, you know, essentially like a lot of people of our generation, they're like, well, you can kind of make up for your mind, but we're just going to work. I mean, they work seven days a week. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. That is tough. I would say it was the confluence of all those things, right? My parents, my friends, the Bible, culture, movies. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I watched Top Gun. That was the first sex scene I ever saw. I will never forget it as long as I live. <laughs> and, you know, just all those things mixed together was probably shaping pre-pubescent and post-pubescent Adam's thoughts on it. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, again, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think a lot of people are just mum about it, you know, and yeah. especially if you don't have any guidance around it, which I know I didn't. I don't know if you did really, Devante, but you didn't either. It's you're going to go towards your reptilian brain, which is like, well, this is the most fun thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> so I just want to do that. I mean, no, that's true. That's, that's, that's been true. my life more or less. Yep. Yep. It's and a it, powerful thing. Yeah. So I wonder if you had like a, a more healthy relationship when it came to like pornography, when it came to sex in general, do you think that you had a more healthy relationship with it? Cause like for Eric and I, like we kind of like dove really deep into it and right. came pretty freaking addicted to it. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have, I didn't have any guidance at all when it came to sex. Like I said, my dad threw me a fucking playboy when I was four years old Dang. and that really started my, there was no guidance into this. It was just like, here, boom, here's a butt naked woman in front of my, <laughs> in front of my eyes. And I, I was like, damn, I like this. Mm-hmm. And no guidance at all. Wasn't given any information about what this is, uh, how I'm supposed to feel about this and how to go about it in a, a more natural way. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you feel like you had more of a guidance in that? Definitely. Like comparing it to what you just described, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, I think I definitely was convicted to try and live by God's design when it came to sex. That didn't mean I did that perfectly, clearly. Mm. But I certainly had a degree of motivation to try. The other thing that really impacted my experience early on was my friend group. My friend group was really 
also had those convictions and and having those like close friendships where we're vulnerable with each other talking with each other about what's going on our experiences all that i mean my friendships in middle school and high school everything was on the table mm. with between us mm. and so that changed it a lot because there's nothing in the dark you know so it was more with your friends and with your parents you guys would talk about it and you guys almost navigated it together yeah yeah and okay. Yeah, my parents certainly spoke into it, but as far as like who knows the nitty gritty, it was it was the boys, you know. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting because I didn't. I think for me growing up so early, seeing this, I had nobody to fucking talk to at four years old, five, six. You know, I didn't have anybody to talk to about this shit until I was honestly like seventh grade. Like I didn't talk to anybody about any of this. So I feel like if I would have had more of that, if I would have started later mm. and had more of a guidance, do you feel? Do you feel kind of the same way? Yeah. I mean, my friends, you know, we would, you know, at the time for us, I mean, people born late 80s, early 90s, most, most of my friends, it, the internet was so rudimentary. You know, we'd look it up on our parents' computers or our computers, but it wasn't really a go-to for us because it, it took so long. You know, it was dial-up internet. So like to download <laughs> pictures would take forever. So it was like, ah, cool. We do that for a little bit, but we'd go outside. We would make bows totally. and arrows and we would go, you know, try to go rabbit hunting and we'd go fishing. And so when I was with my friends, honestly, we would talk about girls, but we didn't talk about porn or, or sex that much. We were outside doing a lot of things. And that was all the way through high school. So I, was that different for you? You guys yeah, no, it experienced was, um, it more? Whenever I had like a group of friends, seventh grade, I was the freakiest one in the bunch <laughs> by far. And I, and for so long, I thought that was normal. Because I would show all my friends, I'd be like, oh, man, like this girl, all those naming porn stars left and right. Like I could have wrote down a, a thousand porn stars. And you were born basically five, six years later than us. So you yeah, yeah, you yeah. were able to see probably a lot more and access it and show your friends. Yeah, I a mean. A lot easier than me and Adam yeah, were able to. Middle school is whenever, you know, we started getting more high definition porn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my no. eyes were brought to that. But then, yeah, seventh grade is when I started talking about it with other friends. And nobody else was really saying anything. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why <laughs> Why am I the only person yeah. that knows what's going on? And then I started thinking, I was like, man, maybe I really am not normal. And then I introduced all this stuff to my friends, and they became yeah. kind of freaks. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I think they became freaks at, like, a healthier age where they were, like, better with it than I was. Because they all kind of dove out of it, like, freshman year totally. type of thing, where I was still hooked because that's been my entire life. So I wish I would have had a little bit more guidance, but I know that's better for me now whenever I do have children, as you do. Now you have to <laughs> now, I, now I do right? have a child. Yeah, no, and I want him, I want my child to talk about it with me. You know, right. and Adam, you have two kids yep. as well, a uh, boy and a girl? Yep, or, a four-year-old okay. boy and two-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. You know, I think by having that structure of, you know, again, obviously religion in the household, you, it'll help them kind of navigate that as they develop that, as they develop and they start getting to that age. But again, as a parent, I think in today's world, I mean, you have to, you have to talk about it. Oh, yeah. It's not a choice at this point. I know what these kids are seeing. Like my clients have kids that are now 10, 11, 12, and they're looking at everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it also <laughs> makes you like wary of, the technology environment that you have in, in your home, right? You have to decide, you have to make active decisions around what's available and how, mm -hmm. because that stuff could just happen or you could be thoughtful and plan around it, you know, and, and let them engage with it as their brain develops rather than let it just be carnage from an early age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think religion <laughs> has definitely, uh, is definitely good in that sense. I know I would talk to a lot of, you were saying, uh, purity, a lot of those girls that used to get like purity rings, mm -hmm. you know those? Yeah. Do you know what those are? Yeah, I've heard of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. We would have tons of girls in our school that would get those, and they would always turn out to be the biggest hoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, honest, I'm just being honest. Okay. okay. I know it sounds cruel, but I always would wonder, I was like, man, if they're supposed, if they're being raised with strong religious values, mm -hmm. and their parents are making them get this purity ring to promise that they're going to stay a virgin until they get married mm -hmm. i don't know if it's actually any good if it's like i feel like it's like a lot of pressure on them yeah in a way to where they're like oh i want to be rebellious i'm gonna do the exact opposite right right yeah i mean that makes sense to me and i i witnessed the same thing i mean even like that sort of purity culture thing i was talking about earlier when you 
let's just say you have a set of values around sexuality, right? I think that this type of sexual activity is good and this type is maybe not good. You know, the motivation matters a lot. So if you, if, if any one of us are growing up and if say for me that I just don't want to have sex because I think I'm going to burn in hell if I do, mm. like it's a fear based motivation. I mean, you know, fear based motivation obviously can work, but it's, it's really not amongst the most sort of powerful, long lasting, deepest rooted motivations, right? Like if someone tells you, Hey, don't run into that foggy bridge. It's, it's uh there's, it, it's broken. You're going to fall off. You're going to fall off the edge into the water. You'd be like, okay, I won't do it. But like when you're talking day in and day out decisions, like with sex type of stuff, if you're just hearing don't have sex because you're going to get chlamydia, don't have sex, you're going to burn in hell. The day comes pretty quick where you start to question that, you know? And the thing that I think is so awesome about the way the Bible presents sex is it presents it as something that God created for human good and flourishing and for his glory. But like all of God's rules, like all of God's law, it's the main motivation in the New Testament is a gospel motivation. And so what I mean by that is like, so the gospel is, it's, it's a word that means good news. And it means that Jesus came to earth to die for sinners. And that's good news because as a sinner, I'm separated from God. Why am I separated from God? Because he's perfect and I'm not. And because he's just, he's not going to coexist with evil because he's just. But now we got a problem because he created me and he loves me and I stand condemned. He's the creator. That's why he's the judge. And I stand condemned as someone who's chosen to rebel against him. That's the bad news, which means the good news is that Jesus came to make that right. Jesus came to die and take the penalty for sin, absorb the justice, and then offer it to me freely as a gift. That's the gospel, right? It's not a works thing. It's not a thing that I can, well, hopefully Adam does enough good. Hopefully this week, Adam slept with only one person instead of two. Hopefully this week, Adam said no swear words. Like there's just like, it's almost like we have in our minds this imaginary heaven line, right? And hopefully today I'm above the heaven line which is this like insanely burdensome concept. Like who even knows? Like how, how could you even know? You know, and I think that's actually the way that most religion works. And it can be a powerful motivator, but as you're just pointing out, Devante, long term it really isn't, you know? But if it's a gospel motivator, if, for example, I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he died for me, he delivered me from judgment. And not only that, but one day he's gonna take me home to paradise with him in a recreated heavens and earth. He did that because he loves me and there's nothing that I can do to achieve that on my own. He gives that to me and then he says, and by the way, this is how I created you to live. One, for your own flourishing. Two, because it's my design. Like the, the motivation now for me to want to step into his design for sexuality is completely different. It's no longer, well, hopefully, hopefully that God's going to bless me. Hopefully God gives me good things if, if I obey him. He's already given me good things. I'm I'm working from a from a from a concrete foundation now that I'm saved. And that just, that take the burden slides off your back. You know what I mean? It's a much more it's a much more powerful soul level motivator to 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 adhere to a certain value set of sex, right? Like to to do this or to not do that because when you think about sex, we've got all these desires, right? And hopefully most people would agree that not every desire that we have is good. Right. I mean, you want to see a you want to see a bloodbath. Just do every single thing you've ever desired. Things are going to go terribly. All right. But at the same time, probably most of us would say, but there's things that I desire and love that are good. It's a mix. Right. Hopefully most of us would think I would think experience life that way. And sex is no different. Right. If if we stepped into any desire that we had sexually, absolute chaos would ensue. And maybe you get some more instantaneous momentary pleasure. But like, man, like. I think other women are attractive. I've been married to my wife now for almost 12 years. Can, I mean, in one, I'm about to be a pastor. If I, if I just like in one moment decided whatever to sleep with some woman that wasn't my wife and the fallout that that would have between her and I's friendship and relationship, the fallout that would have with my kids eventually when they could understand it, the fallout that that would have for my career and granted, most people don't have the career that I have, but there, there's all these terrible consequences that can come from making certain decisions around these things, right? And so the point is, is that, you know, our desires, some of them are noble and some of them aren't. And, you know, self-control is like a big, big piece of this. I don't know how I got on that, but. Well, no, no, that was very well said. But I mean, I think you see it too in our society. People are absolutely leaving that. They're 
fully hitting the levers of, well, it's all for me, the biggest desires I can get. And trust me, and you'll have to listen to to my recording. That's been me. That's been my life. I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, I mean, again, I know, again, not just me. And I think the internet's really facilitated that too, because it's created these hyper successful polygamous males. Yeah. I don't know if if you've, if you've heard about this, Such a funny way to say that. because of Instagram, because of Tinder and all these dating apps, men have learned. It's like, you know, I don't have to touch my social circle anymore. I could have multiple partners all around, all around the state. Hmm. And again, it was, it's interesting because my friends that are your age, even though there's a slight cutoff, even when I met my girlfriend, when I was ex-girlfriend now, but this is when I was 22, 23, that's right when Tinder was introduced into the U S and I'll never forget when I found that. Now, again, my dad was a divorce attorney, so I questioned everything anyways. And again, I had no religious backing or anything. I just wanted to have fun. So I really kind of kept her at arm's length. And then when Tinder came out, I was like, whoa, now I really got to keep you at arm's length because then it's it was just a free-for-all. Mm. And I told her, it's like, look, I don't want to be monogamous. I don't think I can be faithful, all of these things. And, um, you know, versus my friends that are even just a couple years older than me that missed that, that really got in serious relationships before the dating apps and Instagram came out. You know, they they had less choice because you had to really meet people in person. You know, online dating was still kind of taboo. It was for older people. Totally. <laughs> it wasn't for younger people. So most of my friends were meeting people in person. But there is a sharp cutoff line right around mm. 32. So people born 90, 91 and 88 and 89, big difference. Most of my friends that are 88, 89 are in committed relationships or married. And a lot of my friends that are kind of post 90, 91 are either not having sex at all or very successful polygamous males. Interesting. And you yeah. think the de- the technological piece behind the dating apps help facilitate? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Wow. wow. It reduced the cost of rejection to zero. So a man no wow. longer had to look a girl in the eye and ask her out. Crazy. And because it's all looks based, it went to the top five to 10% of men. Of course, of course, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, wow. I've never thought about this before. And part of that's because I've been married almost yeah, 12 exactly, years. Yeah. But the, yeah, you're right. The, the way that that has filtered things is really, really wild. You know, there's, I did a, I preached a sermon on singleness the other day. And singleness gets a mixed vibe in our culture, right? Like on the one hand, everything that you see from Disney movies to like even modern Netflix shows is you need, your other half, you need someone to complete you. You will never be satisfied until you have the one, you know, the mm-hmm. soulmate. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the culture's mouth, it says singleness is the way, dude. Why would you ever tie yourself down? Are you kidding me? When you can be on the top of the sexual conquest mountain, like you, what you were describing earlier, Eric. And so culture kind of talks out of both sides of its mouth, but in the church in North America, I call it in the last 50, 60 years, being single was like being a second class citizen. I mean, maybe that's overstating it slightly, but like, man, in in preaching and in general Christian culture, it was like, if you're single, what's wrong? (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And like Mm -hmm. parents being like, hey, how's things? How's dating? Oh, I'm I'm not dating anyone right now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what you get. You get, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. right? Which is wild because the Bible's vision for singleness is the exact opposite. Like in the New Testament, Paul argues that singleness is actually better, which is a crazy thing to hear. and, And, you know, but all that to say... As I was preaching the singleness sermon, I was doing some research about singleness statistics. And it's kind of wild. Since the 60s, I think it was the 60s or 70s, where only like 12 to 13% of people never got married. And as of 2020, I think I think this data came from the last census poll. As of 2020, that number has gone from like 12 or 13 to 30 plus percent. Mm-hmm. Yet the average age for men has gone from 21 to 31. Mm-hmm. And so... Now you have this whole new segment of American life that historically has not been there of singleness from post-college years. And even, you know, if you don't go to college, basically your whole 30s, there's this whole new common experience in American life where people are single and that it's just never been that way before, you know, which is a big change. Driven by exactly what I just talked about. I mean, I think that is the biggest driver along with cultural norms of, you know, obviously no religious backing, no, no rules, you know, a lot of parents are, are both working just to keep up to pay for things. You know, it's not, it's just not traditionally how we used to operate as family. You know, my grandfather, you know, he's, he worked, my grandmother stayed home, took care of the five kids. You do not see that as often anymore. You know, he maintained a very strong masculine frame, you know, and, you know, my grandmother never went to school, never got, you know, an education past high school. And again, not saying that that's right, but everything has shifted now. 
because you know you know women have really they've climbed the the ladder actually women i of our generation are outperforming men like most of the women i know you know my sister's a corporate attorney very masculine position um single well i think maybe dating someone right now but 31 no kids uh they're showing that right now more people are entering into their 30s more women without kids than with kids mm. so it's over 50% without children now yeah and it's in western culture yeah because when it comes to like birth rates and stuff birth rates have kind of fallen off a cliff and that kind of happens in developing nations typically and i I think when i researched this the main two reasons for it were urbanization so people go into cities and then women in the workforce because you know they're kind of like in some ways the driver of the procreation Mm -hmm. and so when they would enter the workforce they're maybe they're less inclined to and so that's caused birth rates in developing na- or developed nations to really tank. And so, you know, there, there's, it has all these downstream impacts, right? Like there's all these universities staring at this, this cliff of enrollment as opposed to just after the baby boom when enrollment went insane, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And so there's all these colleges, probably they're going to have to close over the next 10, 20 oh, years. Absolutely. And so the kids thing is like, there's all these like pieces to that as well, I think, because, you know, People talk about having kids now very differently than in previous decades. It's it's kind of less um it's less appealing, I think. I also think depending on where you where you're from, where you live, because where I'm from, a good portion of people are getting married super fucking early. So I also grew mm-hmm. up in the Bible Belt too, like Southern Baptist, which is crazy. Okay, for those who don't know, Southern Baptist is pretty hardcore, and like everybody, it they feel like their purpose is to get married, have kids at a very early age. And I think depending on where you are from, marriage and kids looks completely different. Yeah. So I talk to most people up here and people are like, oh man, I'm not, I'm either not trying to have kids at all, or I'm going to wait till later in life after I've gotten my education and I've built myself up. But if you go down to the South, it's a lot different. It's a lot yeah. different. Or like Utah, different. Yeah, it's well, cultural. Utah I mean, is yeah. its own thing. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but yeah, but it's but it's very cultural. So yeah, yeah. you know, you go to the Bay Area, you know, or something like California. You know, you're not you're going to see more of like kind of Colorado front range yeah. attitude. Totally. Uh, my sister lives in New York City. You know, very much like Colorado. I mean, her and her friends, none of they're all early 30s now. No one's married. No one has kids. Yeah, yeah. Big career value in New York City, especially. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's going to happen, though. It's like the more, because we talk about it, the more the women get educated going after like doctorate degrees and shit like that, you're going to be 36 by the time you're out of school. But then you go directly into your field and then you have no time. If you decide you want to have kids, then it's be you're, high you're risk pushing, and kind yeah. of dangerous yeah you're right I you're mean, really pushing it and technically i think uh for a woman to be 35 or 36 from there on it's considered a geriatric pregnancy yeah. which yeah. is really yeah. wild to think about and so i was actually talking with a, a gal the other day who is early 30s she wants to be married just hasn't happened and she said that that is always on her mind yeah well no because whenever i was with one of my exes, you know, I realized I didn't really want to be with her anymore. And we were 26 at the time. And in my head was, you know, I'm wasting her time because she's approaching an age where it's going to be a little more difficult for her to find somebody and like have kids. And so the whole time on my mind was like, I can't waste her time biologically so she can actually have a life and a family. Hmm. And I think a lot of women nowadays don't really want that so yeah, yeah. much yeah the cultural value has changed yeah but i also hear it from men too because like you said men aren't getting married till 31 yeah i think that's a appropriate age for for a man to get married because that's when we really we talked about it men really start coming in their own late 20s early 30s start making money they start really building themselves up and for a man 30 to 35 is still relatively young like we can still we can re- reproduce all the way in, <laughs> yeah, so we're dead, really. Well, that's, I mean, it, I think that's, yeah, that's very cultural. I mean, again, you met your wife in college. You guys met each other naturally, and you guys dated through college, got married after college. Mm-hmm. You don't see that as much anymore um, because the, the game has changed, you know. And I actually was going to ask you, um, so I, I know a lot of girls um, that are just in my life, you know, through work or whatever, and they really rail against uh, religions. Um, you know, they, they say religion, you know, is like uh, amplifying the patriarchy. Like mm-hmm. it's it allows men to control everything. Men are 
men are evil, essentially, especially men that have, well, not that have religious views, but like, you know, if you read the text in the Bible, you know, it, it really turns a lot of girls I know off because they feel really disenfranchised with it. Totally. Um, I don't know if you've, you've probably had to deal with that. I would oh, yeah. imagine. Yeah. So I what, totally empathize with that opinion. So what is your, yeah, kind of re- response to that? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. there's two things wrapped up in that, right? One is, um, you have, I mean, the United States has had a Christian influence for hundreds of years. And so you have these cultural um, manifestations of Christianity, right? That aren't necessarily rooted in the Bible. But, um, you know, I mean, when, when people are being a family, like there's things that start to get done a certain way. And over time, you just kind of assume that's God's design and put, put a, the authority of God's stamp on it. When really it's just a cultural thing you made up, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think a big part of, like, for example, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's like, I always drive my wife when we go on drives. I always am the one that drives. And I'm like, great. That's a great way for, for you to serve your family if it is in fact serving them. But let's just be clear. That's just something that you like to do. Yeah. Like if she wants to drive, <laughs> let, her, let her drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like you have this cultural piece that's, over time, uh, a lot of Christians have taken the God stamp and just uh, the the woman should cook the food. I mean, it doesn't say that in the Bible, you know? And so, but then when it comes to the stuff that it does say in the Bible, also, I mean, so this is like a more complicated question, right? Because the Bible teaches that God made men and women in his image. They're both equally made in his image. They're no, no one is better than the other. They're both equal heirs to the promises of the gospel. Um And so from that regard, like there's a lot of sameness and the other side of it is there's differences. They are, you know, um, whether it's biological differences or or other things, right? And God did that in his creativity. And it's, I think we could all agree, it's kind of awesome, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as like the things that we love about women. And so there, there are aspects to the family and the church that God in his good design, he has called men to certain things and, and women to other things, but that's only in the context of a family life and the church. It doesn't really extend beyond that. And it's pretty, it's pretty limited, but it's, you know, if the Bible would root it in creation and the way that he actually made men and women, you know. But, you know, then it was one man and one woman. And again, I think that's something that you don't, you're not seeing as much of now again where you go you know where you grew up Devante might be different or southern some southern states or areas but i i do believe you know again as someone that would definitely has not even considered religion a part of his life till recently mm-hmm. um you know since i was 7 years old you know once i was like oh we don't have to go to church anymore sweet yeah. uh you know it makes so much sense to me now of like you know, why religion is in our life, you know, of like, we do need each other. I'm a good example. You know, I'm basically the opposite of you, single guy living balls to the wall. I mean, (laughs) literally we're, we're polar opposites with how we've lived the last decade of our life. And I've run into a lot of problems, um, you know, physical problems. Um, you know, I haven't made the best choices in my life. Not that anyone makes perfect choices, but you realize that you, when you don't have a counterpart to kind of even out the male nature, which is, you know, for me, it's just like, Hunt, gather. I mean, that's all I think about is like making money. I mean, look, even coming to my house, you can be like, okay, this is a single guy that lives in this house. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy to tell. There's ba- mountain bikes in the living room. Doesn't have a kitchen table. Yeah. Doesn't even have light really bulbs in some table. of it. No, no kitchen table. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's a cave. I mean, I, I, we're turning back into cavemen, you know, especially for the very mm-hmm. successful men that can gather the resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, you use the internet and you can just plunder when totally. it comes to, well, especially attracting women. But also just kind of having fun, you know, hitting, hitting these, and we talk about this all the time, these like monster dopamine levels. Totally, levels. totally. So. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been the, probably the biggest thing, biggest mechanism that God has used to change me in the past 15 years. I mean, we started dating, I guess, in 2000, end of 2007, early 2008. So that's 14, 15 years. You know, the biggest thing God's used to change me is her. And a lot of that comes from the distinctive ways that our mind works by, I would say, God's design, you know. But I feel like I'm in the this weird in-between. So, like, I want to be out on my own, but then I also have this pressure from how I grew up back home of, like, 
my mom wants me to get married. My mom wants me to have kids. Mm -hmm. I think mostly her thing is because she knows I'm going to be a good father. And she just wants me to have that. That's nice. Right? Well, you want to be a father too, I don't do. you? Yeah. I do. But I think looking back at a couple of my relationships when I was trying to be in a relationship when I really didn't want to be was because of my views from back home. Oh. And I just thought of that now <laughs> with you guys talking because you guys grew up the polar opposites of like, and then you're talking about religion. And I grew up with some form of religious background. And the way they would always preach it was like, have, get a woman, have kids, start a family. Mm. That's, that's your thing. Yep. And like in my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I need to find a woman who is suitable enough to have my kids. But then really, I'm like, I really just want to focus on myself. Mm. So I was always in this in-between of like wanting to focus on myself, but then feeling the pressure to have kids and be with one person when really that's not what I was really wanting to do. And now I'm at the point where I'm wanting to focus on myself and I realize my time will come and there's no, I don't have that pressure. But you want a monogamous relationship I do, down but the road. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to force it like I was in mm -hmm. the past. And this is where... You know, unfortunately, <clears throat> because the game has changed and because everyone's online, um, you know, women are able to go to the higher status men very easily mm -hmm. because they can tell, you know, lifestyle on Instagram, you know, a guy's job on on Tinder or Bumble. Yeah. Um, and obviously, because we have competing mating strategies, you know, they're, you know, women are able to go to the top, essentially, whether it's just for a, a hookup or a relationship. And so as a guy in today's world, I mean, I think the game has changed because of the Internet where you have to you have to bring yourself up. You you have to have a very a, like high net worth, making enough money, you know, obviously be able to, you know, uh, be physically fit because totally. because you're so replaceable now as a man. Yeah, that's so interesting. You yeah. know, in the past, I'm not like, saying it's good. It's just it's endless choice. I mean, it's it's a problem. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I've witnessed in the past like eight years this weird phenomenon where I've probably witnessed this between twelve and twenty-four times, dozen, two dozen times, where there'll be a guy and a girl dating, and it's a great fit, and um, and then it starts to get serious. Like, well, dang, this is a great fit. Well, what? Should we just stay in this netherverse or should we just get married? And most of the time it makes sense to get married. And then there's this like freak out moment that happens. Mm -hmm. And honestly, almost every single time I've seen this, it's the guy that's freaking out. Mm -hmm. And it's not really a rational thing. Like when I talk to them, well, why are you hanging? Why are you pumping the brakes? Why are you scared to do this all of a sudden? Well, I don't know. And the things that come out of these guys' mouths, man, like it's the weirdest stuff, like the most like small nitpicky random things that have no bearing on like the success of a relationship you know like well well i mean are you attracted to her yeah super attracted to her well do you really appreciate her character oh my gosh yeah well do you guys have a lot of fun together and you know have you met her family all these things right all these substantial things and then like they'll say something like but i'm attracted to her but like i just don't know if it's enough i'm like well, well how much is enough like what are you looking for or they'll say something like well, i mean she she um, she doesn't like sports quite as much as me. And it's like, dude, well, are you looking for like you or are you looking for someone else? Like, right. you know what I mean? And, and I think there's a couple things behind that. I, one, I think kind of what you were saying, Eric, is um, because of, and I'm kind of putting some of these things together just as I'm listening to you talk, because of whether it's Tinder or other, really the internet, you know, the internet is so much of our experience with it is is run by an algorithm that's reflecting us mm -hmm. back to us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just social media. It's it's Google. You go shop on Target.com, oh, like absolutely. news. All of that is reflecting us back to us. And so the idea of, of engaging with someone with substantial differences than us, we're less, we're less, uh, I don't know, flexible to that. Whereas maybe in other decades, other centuries even, we, you, you build that understanding, even appreciation mm. in earlier, whereas just like <laughs> locked into the internet, mm -hmm. you're just, and this is why it's so easy to get radicalized in the internet and all that. It's constantly reflecting us back to us mm. and stokes all the rage and all that. And so I see it playing out with relationships of people questioning, is, is there enough in common? Is she attractive enough? And it's kind of like what you're saying with, you know, when it comes to Instagram and even movies and, and main media like, you know, a, a lot of the, 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 the people that are like movie stars are the most conventionally attractive people generally, right? And so when you're seeing that and then you're seeing the people that are really popular on, on social media, you, there's this new normal getting written in your head of what you can expect. 
And it's just not, I mean, I was, I was watching, I was being advertised an app the other day that's editing how the person looks during a live video. Mm. So that it's like a live video and the app allows them to adjust the way that they look live. And I, like genius, it, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was, it, I was just like, man, we're not even, we're not even being attracted to real things now. <laughs> it's manufactured, you know what I mean? It's like industrialized. It's <laughs> super interesting. Everything. I mean, you saying this, everything is being catered to us now. So, I mean, we sit here talking about whatever, and it's going to pop up on my phone later today. Yeah. Like everything is literally being catered to us. So when a person is no longer being catering to us, we're like, oh, well, we can just go find somebody else who is being this for me, more of what I am. But that's not what a relationship is. You want somebody who is opposite of you, who compliments you. Right. You're just different. Not somebody who is exactly you. And the internet is definitely fucking us up that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, do you want do you want a vending machine or do you want a person? Yeah. Nope. You know, and it take the good news is in a lot of those examples that I was mentioning earlier with people just guys freaking out, a lot of times after they freak out and their friends come around them and say, This makes no sense. Why are you questioning this? Everything's a green light. Mm-hmm. Like, ink the deal, bro. Like close it. <laughs> you know? Um, almost every single time they've been like, You're right. And then they just step into it, you know? Um, and like, I, I had literally heard a story, like, I mean, this is weeks ago of a guy. Um, this is like a second degree connection. A guy, um, you know, th- this, this, he meets this woman's family. They've been dating a long time. It's going serious. It's going well. They meet this woman's family. And uh, for whatever reason that like triggered him. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is serious. She's meeting my family. Oh no. And then like the next day he dumps her. Mm. And everyone's like, what? Why did you dump her? And she's like, I, where did this come from? What happened? And then a week later, he calls her back and he's like, that's the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. Please take me back. He just had, like, had a freak out moment of like that it was getting serious. And maybe maybe the idea of permanence was freaking him out a little bit, you know. And, you know, that's fine. Like you got to go through what you got to go through. And I'm glad because I know at least the gal in this situation, amazing woman. And I'm glad. I don't know how it went or what happened, but I know that he called her back and and begged her to take him back. So, you know, I, I think a lot of guys just need that. I don't know if it's a catharsis or just like a, a come to Jesus moment of like, uh, what am I actually looking for? And what's my expectation? You know, and there needs to be like a reality check. So, but you don't have girls coming to you talking about their experiences as much. It's mostly. Yeah. Men, that's mostly or? the context of, of uh, guys and girls dating and then it getting serious. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. I definitely have less exposure to the way that women are experiencing things. I have seen also, I will say from women, like a, a weird choosiness. It's like, they'll give me that. Like I've seen lists, you know, this is what I want my boyfriend to look like. And the list is like, I mean, Jesus wouldn't make the list. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's out of control. And it's like, dude, are, this, are, are, are you hoping to like make this person in Sims and like hope he becomes real? Like, you know, I definitely seen that. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. real though. I mean, that's, and so what are people choosing to do? I mean, I, I asked a girl out, I mean, sometime last year, and I'll never forget. She literally was like, no, I kind of like thought about it. And it was just like, you know, I'm just kind of like going home to my apartment, turning on Netflix and going on my phone. I mean, she literally like had a relationship with uh, tech technology. I mean, her phone and Netflix, where she's like, I don't really want to be bothered by anyone, at least not right now. And she was younger. I mean, she was 23. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and I just thought that was fascinating listening to her talk about it. Just like, man, like that just sounds like too much work. And again, I think COVID didn't help because telling everyone to isolate and just be totally. on your phone and totally. be on Netflix, that, yeah, that didn't psychologically help anyone either. And I think now people, because we're being mirrored that reflection of ourself, you're right. No one is good enough. Right. You know, we've become the most individualistic people, but I would argue the loneliest people. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. And you actually see, I think, Eric. You know, so many people in that boat. And then also we probably can name just as many people that would say, I'm not satisfied. Like I'm, I'm so lonely. I would say that's probably 95% of people. Right. Honestly. Especially now that we're out of the COVID zone and those COVID habits are still, still sort of maintaining Mm -hmm. maybe for some people. And now all of a sudden it's like, is this life? Well, I wonder for those children who grew up with COVID. I mean, like for us, it's a little easier to get out of because we didn't have, we didn't grow up in a important time of our life. 
in COVID. Mm. We're more adults when it hit. So like for us, it's a little easier to get out of. But for the kids growing up, I can imagine how hard it is for them to try to get back to normality for two and a half years of a substantial part of their life, their yeah. childhood, yeah. of their development life, right? I don't understand. I don't know how it's going to look for them. I, I really think socially there's going to be no communication. It's all done through this fucking computer and our phones. I think person-to-person communication is going to die. You think it's going to die? I think there's going to be a blowback and a swingback. No, I think it's going to die. I, think, uh, I don't think it's I think gonna, it's, it's gonna fucking die dude. it's and not going to die it's but it's it's because <laughs> people people are meeting still trust me they're going in on their Instagram DMs and meeting each other or whatever app right, you know right. and they're meeting each other people are communicating but not like again not like we used to where again you had a limited social circle like totally. everyone you met was had to be kind of in person it's it's so weird because I I don't I texted you whenever I went down to Boulder and I went to a Mexican joint and there was a couple next to me and we sat in there and they were on their phones when we sat down and they were on their phones the entire time and they were not really talking to each other. I've seen that a lot. But yeah. I was like, what's the point of being out together if you're going to sit on your phones and there's no communication at all? I was sitting here, I was like. What the yeah. fuck is going on? <laughs> it's like they were waiting for, like they were afraid of missing something. It's like, well, you should be afraid of missing the life that's happening right in front of you. What, look, yeah. look around when you drive around. If you're looking at people walk on the street at a stoplight, everyone's totally. on their phones. Totally. Everyone is on their phones all the time at the gym working out. Now again, you're playing through, going through songs, but I look at people's phones. They're looking at TikToks. They're looking at yeah, totally. all kinds of stuff, not scrolling through music. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely addictive in nature, and that's kind of where my—I my, mean, the optimistic side of me. I'm reading this book right now called um, called "The Chaos Machine," and it's about how social media has affected civilization and just how negative it is. And um, the optimistic side of me is like, this is going to be like cigarettes, mm. where ten years from now, people are going to be joking about how doctors used to like be like, "Oh, you can smoke; it's totally chill," you know. And now we like, there's those are like, there's joke ads and memes about that, right? Hopefully, this is kind of follows the same arc of turns out, you know, social media companies were out for profitability, not for the flourishing of society and civilization. Yeah, don't you know? say. <laughs> and so, like, hopefully there's a moment where, you know, in schools, it's it's much more regulated just because everyone's a little more aware now of the way that these things operate. You know, I listened to uh, a business tech pod and, and they talked about because the the algorithms that drive our internet life are so focused on getting our attention by any means necessary, you know, even if it just destroys our mental health. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you got this attention problem and it was posited in one of these pods to to take the algorithms and force them to be like uh, public so that, you know, you can interact with these things, you can interact with social media, all these things, mm -hmm. and you can have an algorithm installed that's not toxic. It doesn't make you want to be on it 24-7 and just changes, which I thought was a really interesting solve. We'll see if it happens, though. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, but then you're you're hurting uh, Meta's ad revenue exactly. and everything else. Exactly. And, you know, they had, a, they had a blowout quarter. They were up 15% this yeah, week. Yeah, they did, yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, because, again, it, it is so addicting. You know, that's the only social media I have. And, you know, I have it for work, but I find myself on those reels. And it's not it's not like all the content is just, like, toxic or bad. It's right. just, like, that was, like, five minutes of my life that yeah. I was, like, I needed to, like, respond to this ad or something mm -hmm. like that. Or I'm, like, trying to get a tailgate for a truck or something. I'm, like, I, I needed to be on for 20 seconds at the most, and I was on three to four minutes. Mm -hmm. right. It catches you. Yep. I hate the fact that we're so money-driven. I wish we were more <laughs> life driven. Yeah, because it's crazy that we we spend the the most valuable thing in our life to obtain something we have deemed the most valuable thing. So we spend our time and our life oh, so trying to trying to make something that we have created as being the most. It, money really has no value at all. It's a, it's paper. In the grand scheme of things, money is just paper, but we're willing to waste our time for this piece of paper and destroy our, our lives and destroy other people's lives for this paper. Because when we die, it, it, it really means nothing. I think if we all get out and start having more human interactions and start appreciating the life that we have 
and stop trying to go so much. I mean, yes, we need money because it's in our society and we have to use it to live. Okay. But I, I don't know if we should make it our sole purpose. I think me having this conversation with you two is a million times more valuable than me going out and making money right now. Because this is actually going to be a memory for me for most of my life. And it's going to be out here forever <laughs> where I can go out and make like $200 today, but it can be gone because of bills like that. I'd rather be doing this honestly. And I think we have to start looking at other humans' life as value. That's the, that's the money is human life. That's the money. It's not fucking paper. Because again, you know, it, the thing about capitalism is you're right. It's not a perfect system. And I think do people do get focused on it, but it does create um, drive for in, ingenious ideas. And yeah. again, I think this is one of them where again, this podcast, if it blew up and it was something that created value for people, we'll get rewarded for it. And again, as long as it's a capitalist system, we still live in, it'll be monetarily. I mean, you know, every time I go to work and I help my clients, um, training, you know, it's like I get one hour and I'm rewarded mm. like with, you know, from our capitalist structure of, okay, sure. you get mm-hmm. paid money. And I'm very fortunate why I love my job is in which a lot of people can't say is that I actually am creating value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, exactly, it's tough because I make a lot more money selling cars. Like, it's funny that it's like, and I do, you know, I do a good job selling cars. You know, I, I sell good cars and I don't rip people off or anything, but it's, you know, capitalism doesn't always reward. You're right, Devante, what is 100%. best? I wish I could make more personal training, mm-hmm. but it service industry, it's very hard to keep up with wages, with yeah. uh, inflation right totally, now, totally. unless you're using uh, human capital and you're able to sell stuff. You know, I mean, again, cars... Yeah, some people actually need cars. A lot of people I sell cars to, they don't really need the cars, you know. So it's tough, man. I, and I think that's, you know, if I, I do personally feel like, you know, I'm right between a rock and a hard place. You know, I f- imagine for you, Adam, you you feel really good about what you do Yeah, for, for work. You know? And I worked in the marketplace for about eight or nine years. So it's interesting comparing the two, you know? but it's really rewarding for sure. Yeah, doing, doing what you do now where yeah. it's like you really feel like you are helping people i would imagine as a, as a yeah. pastor starting a church yeah and it's in a very tangible way like people with me will share my wife and i even will share just their darkest hardest moments and when you're able to sit with and help someone in their hardest suffering and help them walk through that oh man that is very satisfying especially as they come through different things and stand firm in certain things and and learn to you know, just learn to do life in the midst of really hard things. And so much of that for me is, is giving them what I think they really need, which is Jesus. And so in some ways it's like, in some ways I'm just the messenger, you know, but yeah, it's very satisfying. I see most people who have been chasing money and they end up getting this fucking crazy ass job. They fucking hate it. They hate their life because they're just working for something that really means nothing in the end. And they've missed all of this beautiful life that's been happening to them and like we have a friend who used to have a job he was making really good money but he hated it and then he came and he worked with us and he was like dude this is a million times better you should not chase money like if you have to do a job that's going to be more fulfilling for you but you're going to be paid less i would recommend doing it because your life quality is going to be so much higher that's what i'm getting at. i mean yeah again we all have to have fucking money and we have to do <laughs> well, something but it's it's, uh, it's about finding something uh, purpose, that man. purposeful yeah. like this what we're doing right now if we do end up making money off of it not saying we will but if we end up do it's not like we're trying to ruin anybody's life we're trying to actually add more value to somebody's yeah. life we're getting to know people we're putting out different perspectives out there mm-hmm. we're not out here taking money from anybody we're not trying to ruin anybody's mental health at all we're actually trying to do the exact opposite, try to restore their mental health, restore their quality of life. Yeah. And that's very rewarding. We're not out here scamming people for shit. Oh, if you buy this magic elixir, <laughs> you're going to have raging bull fucking hard-ons, you know? <laughs> like, we're not out here scamming motherfuckers like that. We're actually having conversations, being real people, adding more value to our own lives, which feels great for me. And then hopefully adding value to other people's lives as well. Yeah. It's it's like so many people I can imagine find like uh, it's part of the book is talking about the meta employees and how over time 
like the polling of them, they've become more aware that like maybe Facebook isn't doing good for the world and that that like poll has shifted drastically in the past 10 years. But as far as like the, the, the journalist who wrote the book is asking them point blank, like, do you think that this, your algorithm with this, look at what happened in Myanmar, that, look what happened in Brazil, that, do you think that it's causing problems? And like all of them will be like, no. And granted, some of them leave like in a blaze of glory, leaking stuff and being like, this isn't, but not most, right? And so I, in some ways I empathize for them because they're kind of, you know, they're, they're incentivized to not deal with that. You know, when it comes to business, hopefully, I remember my dad, who's like an old school business guy, used to say, business should be built on a three-legged stool, the customers, the shareholders, and the employees. Like all three of those should be they're all sort of like uh, involved and they should all benefit, right? Hold you up. And now, like, especially even with the legal system, the way that profitability literally is the legal, highest legal obligation for companies is profitability. Not like, did you poison the water? Not, and granted, they'll get sued. But like, at the end of the day, that, that is their main lens, like at all costs, legally, what can we get away with? You know what I mean? And it's just, it's wreaking havoc downstream life <laughs> fucking life dude <laughs> this has been a good topic actually i've enjoyed this conversation drastically i feel like i've learned some things i've self-reflected a little bit doing this how's been reading the bible going for you it's good it's yeah. it's very interesting i haven't opened the bible i mean you know i guess i have oh here and there for uh, maybe like some funerals. A lot of my family is Catholic, so in a Catholic church, maybe a handful of times the last 20 years of my life, but really before seven, it's, you know, I, I was like rereading the stories and, you know, it's not something you just like read through. You read a section and you kind of sit with it and you think about, okay, what, what, what is, what is it trying to say? And what does the story mean? And I think, um, I know you guys go over it and it, it's just very interesting to me that it's, um, you know, something I never thought I would do in a million years, honestly. No, I thought I, I, I so again, I, I didn't have God in my life. I put myself as, well, I have it figured out. And I think that's a lot of our generation mm-hmm. where it's like, you are, you are the God essentially. Like I have my own ship figured out. I know what's right. Like I know all this stuff about science, about how totally. to make money, about all these things. And it's like, yeah. And then where does that, where does that leave you? You know, I don't, as I told Devante, you know, I don't, I would live long enough to see my parents die and then I would have no purpose. Mm. You know, I would say for you and obviously me now that I have a child, it's like I've got a lot of purpose in my life. And I'm sure you providing for your family gives you a lot of purpose. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, there's 17 cousins in my family and um, really it's like 15 of us that are blood related. Um, Of the 15, well, now me, three of us have kids. That's it. Two or three are married. Only two have kids like the traditional like mm-hmm. family structure right, right and obviously i have one i have one kid um the rest of them all 12 others no one has kids mm-hmm. and i'm one of the youngest you know and they took essentially you took yourself as a number one thing and you kind of live life and it's interesting to see you know my family of again not a wrong way to live but i think it would be a tough way to live because you know when our parents die you know most of uh my aunts and uncles did very well financially. So, you know, they're all still alive and they're all doing, you know, relatively well, but we're all getting older mm-hmm. and, you know, they're not going to be there forever. And then, then what do you have? You know, I think that's something that I, again, I don't think it's just my family. I think it's a lot of people are waking up to that of like, whoa, what, what am I doing here? Yeah, it's an yeah. entire generation of people born around eighties and nineties. And um, I think it's tough, man. Cause I see it. Yeah, and the purpose question is, so central and it affects a life so hugely you know but when you, everyone's putting themselves first because everyone's getting reflected what they what they want in life i mean i'm seeing i know so many people that have gotten divorced i mean the last 10 years and my dad's business i mean he's a family law attorney i mean it, it's been gangbusters Dang. then covid just amped it to another level and he retired because he actually has cancer that he's fighting right now and it's his office is the busiest they've ever been they're basically like oh yeah like once you beat that like get your ass back in here you know (laughs) i mean he he could work for the next decade now again less people are getting married so i don't think from a growth industry standpoint it's it's going to be booming but 
I mean, it's very sad. A lot of my friends, you know, our age are getting divorced now and they've only been married a few years. You know, yeah, everyone's, yeah. And, um, you know, I, this is just some speculation. I mean, obviously I have dear friends who have been divorced. That's been tough to see, but you know, just in line with some of the conversation we had earlier, if whether it's Tinder or the internet or whatever is sort of training us on a new set of priorities and values of what we should look for in a person, if it's just, if it's physical appearance, like over times a thousand and then after that it's like are they like me then it's not shocking the carnage that ensues you know like mm-hmm. and not only that it's it's really it, it makes it hard to you know and marriage marriage is hard it's singleness is hard marriage is hard it's all hard and in marriage if you don't have that sort of that deep rooting that goes beyond whether it's just a physical attraction or basic commonalities you're not going to survive the storm really you know and like the the wind's just gonna blow you over, and so, you know, I think I think pursuing the depth of character would go a long way. Even I mean, with or without religion, that's gonna that's gonna really help. Yeah. I think. I think if there is gonna be a dating app, the dating app should be like the Voice. <laughs> you don't see anybody until they fucking. Well, I got the show Love Is Blind. Been talking with one so, of your clients so. about that. I think that should be. That's my idea for a dating app so if that happens just cut me off a piece um <laughs> but i think that would be i think that would be good because bumble i've seen and I've, I've done this a little bit they have speed dating but you don't see who you're talking to it's only fucking three minutes which is nothing but you get to kind of know the person a little bit ask questions kind of quickly get beyond the bullshit yep and then at the end of it you see them and then you get to match which i think you shouldn't get to see them if you like them or not totally I think we really got to get down to the the insides of people, not sexually, but. <laughs> I think people need to, I mean, I think men need to face rejection in today's oh, world. I think, I mean, that's such a big thing. Of yeah. So like my solution is, um, and I've talked about this before, is that for every, like, okay, use the apps. I get everything's here to stay. Fuck, okay, we got yeah, it. Yeah. Every DM slide or right swipe on an app, you got to go talk to a girl for a guy. Yep. You know, again, because of the competing mating strategies, I don't know if you've ever looked at, at men's or women's Tinders or, or dating apps. It's literally women have thousands of men pursuing them from all over. And then yes. you have men that you just have no likes. Mm-hmm. It's like the Sahara Desert for most men. <laughs> oh, one, no. yeah. well, it makes sense. It's, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's how sex works yeah, yeah, between yeah. men and women. Men and are super fucking lonely right now, too. Oh, they've shown that it's super lonely. like the number of sexless men has tripled in the last since all these apps came out because all of the women again go right to the top. Mm-hmm. So interesting, yeah. And I'm sure like Tinder's one app, and you know, if you'd be curious, like the way that different apps operate, like what they're trying to like game the system for. But I would hope at least that there'd be other apps out there that are like facilitating other values. But Unf- unfortunately, because it's so nerve wracking for men. I, they're all more or less the same. It's all image based, and you can ask out essentially women relentlessly. And you you find out very quickly if you're a good looking guy. <laughs> no, you do, and it's making a lot of men. And I, we're seeing this. They're they're just hopeless. They again, they have no hope. So they're just playing video games, living in their parents' basement. So I've got tough. I've got family like this. I've got friends like this because they feel like they're going to be genetic zeros, which essentially they are because Man. we're, we're going back to caveman times. Wow. I mean, my, my life is a perfect example of it. I'm, I'm raising the red flag. I'm like, look, motherfuckers, like <laughs> this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great for men like me. It, that it basically, I would argue it benefits one group of people. It, it benefits the men that can present themselves well online. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was no. not fully aware how deep that rabbit hole went. <laughs> Oh, it's pretty. Oh, it's I mean, pretty for men like him, it's it's really good. But for men like me who are wanting monogamy mm-hmm. and right. want a marriage and family and a kid, it's extremely hard to fucking date. Mm-hmm. It's extremely because yeah. you don't know really who to who to trust. If you're just blowing fucking back out, backs out, it means nothing, right? Well, it's and of course we're all taught we're the same. So women right. are like, hey, I can sleep like men now. You know, I had a conversation with a girl at the gym. The other day and obviously i have a very high body count i don't mind telling people it's over 200 and yeah. it's it's not something i'm like proud of it's not something that i aim to add on to or anything like that at this point in my life but it's it was interesting the girl i talked to i was like well it's it's a good thing you you know essentially it's like you don't want to be like me you don't want to and she's like what do you mean i don't want to be like you like what's wrong with having like i can have 200 bodies and it's totally fine and i'm like okay if you say so like she was very combative in that it's like no we're the same 
Right, right. Like mm-hmm. what what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Like I can do everything you can do and it doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, mm, not true because I can tell you right now that I can, I've walked away from it and I'm like, well, like I wouldn't do that again, but it, I didn't like scramble my brain. It, it taught me that it's like I could be a very hyper polygamous male, but I, again, now I want something else for my life. So I've walked away from it. I'm like, okay, I would argue a lot of the women that I have slept with or women that are sleeping with these guys, they can't just walk away from it because they're just like, well, I had the guy that, you know, he has a house, he's successful, Mm -hmm. he's charming, he's nice, he's fit. Well, I had him. So that's what I'm going to settle. If I don't get him, then I'll just be single. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing that on a global scale now with the internet. Oh, it's terrible. I I think you got to think that like, (laughs) I mean, you know how these things go sometimes where like something just gets too much for a society I mean, I guess you see it go both ways, right? Something bad in society just stays forever, right? But mm-hmm. other times you see something that is bad for society just bubble up to the top eventually and, and the people revolt. Like, are you guys not optimists in that regard? As far I, as- that's what this whole thing is about. Mm-hmm. I think this whole podcast, it, it started, like for me, I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't use those apps. I don't, you know, I really am very present in my life. Um you know, it is. The pendulum is kind of swinging the other way. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, okay, I want to put something above myself. I don't know about the Christianity sense of, of God. I am. I want to study other religions too. But I realize that I don't have it figured out. Mm. I need something above myself. Mm. And, and I've put that as like, okay. And obviously I have a son now, so that's a real game changer for me as well. Of like, exactly. I don't want him going down the road I went down. Mm. Um, there's just no need for that. You know, I want yeah. him... Yeah, again, he's just going to have a much different life than I did. So, I mean, we're not the only ones that are figuring this out yeah. or have this idea. I mean, we might be one of the minorities talking about it, but I think I think a lot of people are starting to figure out, like, mm-hmm. dude, this social media is not good. This dating app shit is not good. It's really fucking us all up. I think we're just trying to help everybody kind of figure a way through it all and, like, set set each other up for yeah. more more neck more physicality <laughs> yeah. yeah more yeah, again that's the, the whole start of this my life has become so it's been better since yeah. we've started and again i've been able to withstand more storms like yep. finding out i have a kid my dad getting cancer Dang. you know it's like I, I, two very big yeah, storms. I do believe there's a god now because trust me it's it's crazy that if i was still drinking and just not caring about my life all of this would be too much. honestly my whole son thing i'd be like man, I'll just pay the child support. I just like, I don't want to see him. Like, I can't believe that happened. What the hell was I thinking? Like, I think I would have shut down or my dad, you know, I would have shut me down instead. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm hustling. Like I'm really, Mm -hmm. you know, you're able to, again, withstand the storms more if you create stability in your life, if you put something above yourself. You have more of a clear head and more of a clear vision Mm -hmm. is what it is. Talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, man, we really appreciate you being on here, dude. Dude, it was a Honestly blast. God. Appreciate your voice. No, this is good. This is good. It's been good talks, man. Um, I'm gonna see you tomorrow. Yes, sir. At nine. <laughs> well, this <laughs> has been Eric too. Eric, what are you doing tomorrow at nine? I'm working. <laughs> are you working tomorrow? Yeah, no, I'm training a couple people that oh, I'm okay. going to that wedding. Yeah, we could talk. Oh, about that's right. We go early. Dante's up at five oh five, so <laughs> maybe we could do six oh five. He's up at five too, ain't you? <laughs> I don't know about tomorrow. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, I'm like tired as shit. But that was good. That was really good. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Seriously. Yep. Well, we'll have to have you on again. Sick. Once you uh, have set up your church down in Denver. Yep. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, Blaze sure. of glory, or you know, maybe it grows like a plant. We'll see. It'll grow. It'll grow. Well, this has been less tech, more Nick. I'm Devonte. This is Eric. See y'all next week. Less tech, more Nick. I hear what I say Let's take more neck For your mother and your brother We gon' hear from Eric and Devontae It's strange times And these are strange days And it's strange people Living strange ways So expect Let's take more neck